Hello, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast from the Institute for Public Administration, or IPA, located in the Biden School at the University of Delaware. First State Insights offers information, perspectives, and analysis for public policy, management, and community and economic development in the first state. My name is Philip Barnes, and I'm a staff member at IPA. And I'm Julia O'Hanlon, also a staff member at IPA. Phil and I are excited to bring you a series of First Day Insights podcasts devoted to the topic of green infrastructure. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term green infrastructure, we define it as any nature-based solution to manage stormwater or control sediment and erosion while also enhancing environmental quality. For example, instead of a system of concrete curbs and gutters, vegetated berms and swales or rain gardens are green infrastructure solutions to manage rainfall. That's right, Julia, and we're not only excited to bring you this four-part podcast series because it's focused on a topic that's important for Delaware, we're also excited because these episodes were produced, developed, and edited by our graduate-level public administration fellows at IPA, who all have an interest in local government issues. It's a great learning opportunity and experience for them, and we hope for you as well. So with that, let's listen in. Hello, my name is Abigail Armstrong, and I'm a Master of Public Administration student at the Biden School of Public Policy and Administration and a legislative fellow with the Institute for Public Administration. I am also a co-president of the University of Delaware student chapter for International City County Management Association. On today's episode, I am speaking with Chris Hauser, Associate Director of the Delaware Sea Grant. We'll be discussing the different types of green infrastructure projects, as well as the challenges and opportunities they present. Can you briefly explain green infrastructure for our listeners and perhaps some examples of projects in Delaware? Sure, yeah. You know, unfortunately, green infrastructure is really difficult to define. It's basically the practice of building with nature and relying on natural ecosystem functions and processes to address the needs of humans and society. So typically, green infrastructure projects incorporate minimal structural elements. They often include native vegetation, and they're designed to be really resilient to changing conditions. So traditional infrastructure, you think about things like concrete structures, steel pilings, bulkheads, a lot of stone and man-made materials being designed to create a relatively static project, where green infrastructure is the opposite of that. It's very dynamic, it's flexible, And like I said before, it's really working with nature to harness the benefits that nature provides for our own personal needs. So a couple examples of that. Here at Delaware Sea Grant, we're very concerned with coastal erosion and flooding. An example of green infrastructure would be something like a living shoreline, which kind of turns that paradigm on its head. And instead of creating a hard transition between land and water, it softens that edge by using things like native oysters, native wetland vegetation, large woody debris. These materials that naturally occur in nature, incorporating them and designing them into a project so that the benefits that they offer address those erosion control concerns. One of the benefits of green infrastructure is that in addition to providing for the needs of humans and society, it also provides functions and values that benefit the environment. So for a living shoreline, that type of project may address coastal flooding, it may address storm surge, it may address erosion caused by large storms or shipwakes, but it also provides nursery habitat for spawning fish. 
It also acts as a carbon sink. So it's addressing things that cause climate change. What it is, is flexible, dynamic, working with nature, being more resilient or adapted to changing conditions over time. I can see where that would be a more preferred method to bringing in a more flexible approach, but then also environmentally it's sound. But are there any challenges with green infrastructure? Yeah, that's a great question. There's quite a few challenges. First is that it's still a relatively novel approach. So if we're considering green infrastructure in the coastal environment, the alternative to that is a traditional coastal engineering project the jetties, groins, bulkheads. The design approaches for those traditional infrastructure projects are well-researched and well-explained. The Army Corps of Engineers has a coastal engineering handbook that provides empirical guidance on how exactly to design those structures. So stakeholders and regulatory agencies have confidence in those approaches because there's such a track record of their construction and long-term monitoring. Building with nature is a newer concept and practice, and there's not that same empirical design guidance or kind of a long history of projects to evaluate what's successful and what's not, and what factors lead to the development of a successful project. So I think one of the first challenges is a lack of specific guidance for designers. You know, if you're an environmental engineer or a coastal engineer, you know how to design and build a breakwater. It's something that you probably learned as an undergraduate or in graduate school. When you entered the workforce, there were professionals in your field who had done that for 20 or 30 or 40 years that you could learn from. If you're a designer, on the other hand, and you're going to build something like a living shoreline or a rain garden or a green roof or some other form of green infrastructure, a lot of the times you're not getting that specific training in a classroom because the faculty who are teaching those courses may not have that length of experience with those design techniques. The same is true for when you enter the workforce. So there's just real lack of institutional knowledge and experience about the design because it's a relatively new field for design and construction. The second challenge is getting buy-in from stakeholders and regulators. I think a lot of people are generally supportive of green infrastructure projects, but when it comes time to build one of these projects on your own property with your own money, there's a lot of hesitancy to do that. And I think I'm a perfect example of that. I've worked in this field for more than a decade now. I design and build green infrastructure projects. I try to share information and knowledge about green infrastructure with our stakeholders here in Delaware. On my property, I have about a third of a mile of frontage on a freshwater stream. There's flooding concerns there. And I had the opportunity to install a riparian buffer and to do some stream restoration practices on it. At the end of the day, I did move forward and do that, but I was very nervous to do it because when I saw the bill and I know I'm paying for something and I know it's a little uncertain and I know that the flooding is a real concern to me as a property owner. And I knew that something like protecting those banks from erosion and flooding with would be more expensive, but would absolutely address the concern. The challenge with green infrastructure is that there isn't that track record of success. And without that, I think it's challenging to get buy-in from people. I think the third challenge with green infrastructure is that building with nature is inherently difficult. I think the way that we are trained as designers engineers and planners is to 
draft the design, have it built to your specifications, and consider that project complete and walk away. And that's true for something like a road or a bridge or a bulkhead. But when you're building with nature and you're relying on these natural functions and processes, those things are dynamic. They're changing over time. With a living shoreline, for example, the effectiveness of that living shoreline at addressing erosion is dependent on the density and size of the plants that are included in that project. So there's a seasonality to it. During the summer months, the vegetation in a living shoreline is robust. It features a lot of growth. It's thick, it's lush. So it's very effective at controlling erosion. Challenges, most storms occur in the fall. In the fall, that vegetation senesces. So the stems die back, the density and stem height decreases, and they're less effective. Understanding how that dynamic process changes over time, I think presents a challenge. The other challenge is that that same living shoreline is going to be a lot more effective five years after it was constructed than it was six months after it was constructed. For the same reason I explained, when you're establishing a new project, you're planting small greenhouse grown plugs of vegetation. Five years later, after they've had five years of growth to become established, that vegetation is much more robust. So the root structures go deeper into the sediment and bind those sediments and protect them from washing away. The vegetation is a lot taller, so it's absorbing more of the wave energy that's passing over and through it. So understanding that temporal change is also important, and I think it's an obstacle. So understanding that natural systems are dynamic and changing, first, is a difficult concept to explain to a stakeholder. They need to understand that. And then secondly, once they do understand it, I think it gives you pause. I mean, imagine a scenario where I'm putting a roof on your house and I tell you it's not going to work really well for five years and then it's going to work better sometimes than others. That would be very concerning for the property owner. And I think the same is true for green infrastructure. Definitely. And when you're talking about flooding, I lived in Fargo, North Dakota in 2008 during the major flood. Their solution was to put up giant concrete levees and just makes me think what other options they could have done would have been less invasive. And it's interesting when it comes to what you could be doing. So I feel like I just talked about a lot of the challenges with green infrastructure without really highlighting the opportunities. And your example there provides, you know, a good point for discussion. The benefits of green infrastructure are many. Traditional infrastructure is often at least twice as expensive to construct upfront. You know, when you're using manufactured concrete, steel bulkheads, things like that, as opposed to natural materials like vegetation, oyster shell, the costs are substantially more upfront. The second thing is that because the environment is naturally dynamic, if you put a static structure into a changing environment, that structure is only going to be able to resist those changes for a certain period of time before it fails. And what we've seen in the coastal environment is that traditional infrastructure often fails catastrophically. Those bulkheads that separate land from water they can be undermined and you don't realize it until they collapse and you know you lose a large chunk of your land, of your roadway, of your septic system, et cetera. So yeah, those static structures in a dynamic environment are only resistant to those changes for a certain period of time before they fail catastrophically. So you have more costs up front, the potential for catastrophic failure. There's also a lot of maintenance costs associated with them. So there are some drawbacks to green infrastructure just on the logistical side of things. The other challenge with traditional infrastructure is that it doesn't provide any ancillary benefits, kind of like the concrete levees that you talked about. 
many of the challenges that we're facing as a society are really complicated. And it's not as simple, you know, again, kind of sticking with the coastal environment, if you're concerned with flooding, that flooding issue isn't as simple as providing a barrier between your property and the erosive forces of water. You need to address the underlying causes of that storm. One of the things that has led to these really drastic changes in coastal conditions is degradation of the environment. So by using green infrastructure, you are putting in something that's more sustainable and more resilient rather than resistant in a dynamic environment. But secondly, all those ancillary benefits, habitat complexity, acting as a carbon sink, improving water quality, all of those things are going to address the underlying issues that are causing these changes that are impacting your property. You know, the concrete levee that you described, that's going to separate the floodwaters from your house, but it's not going to impact the changing climate that's leading to more frequent and severe flooding. But by taking a more holistic approach through green infrastructure, you're going to address your immediate flooding concerns. There may be some challenges. It, it may take a little bit longer to be established. You may have to tweak the project a little bit as you move forward. But at the end of the day, you're also contributing towards a solution for the broader underlying foundational causes for those problems. I think you make a good point when you talk about the upfront costs. That's where my question was attempting to go when I'm asking, what are the immediate benefits for Delawareans? Because I think that when people who don't know a lot about green projects hear that people want to create one, they think, oh, that's going to be far more expensive than how we've always done it. And it's going to be far less effective. Yeah, that's a good point. So in regard to the cost, there have been a number of studies looking at project costs for traditional infrastructure versus green infrastructure. Generally, upfront construction costs are at least 50% less for green infrastructure. So there's significant cost savings up front. I will say that some of those costs aren't permanent savings because... Once you construct your gray infrastructure, your traditional infrastructure project, there's going to be a period of time where there's no additional work needed. If I put in a steel bulkhead adjacent to my property, I'm probably not going to do any maintenance work on that for at least five years. What I've always told stakeholders is that you need to be prepared to continue to invest in a green infrastructure project for a period of three to five years. So that project is going to get built over a period of weeks or months. But then you need to evaluate how it's functioning and maybe make some minor changes. Those changes could include adding some additional structural elements. They could include adding additional vegetation. They could include some additional grading of earth in the area to make sure that there's adequate room for, for runoff and things like that. But it's really difficult to design a project that's supposed to be dynamic and get it right the first time. So. Significant cost savings at construction. Some of those cost savings do go away because there are some additional costs that are needed for adaptive management. So that's kind of making sure that your project is calibrated to the local environment appropriately over a couple of period of years. And so specifically for Delaware Seagram, how are you guys helping to promote and or contribute to green infrastructure in Delaware? Yeah. So Delaware is a really unique state. It has the lowest average elevation of any state in the country. So it's very low lying and has very little topographic relief. Secondly, the entire state is within the coastal plain almost. 95% of the state falls within the Atlantic coastal plain. The other interesting point is that no 
part of the state is farther than eight miles from a tidal water body. So at Delaware Sea Grant, we're very interested in helping our communities throughout the entire state address challenges. These challenges are manifold. The largest challenge our state faces is associated with coastal flooding and sea level rise. It's going to impact our homes, our roadways. It's going to impact our water supply. As sea levels rise, saltwater intrudes into groundwater stores. So at Sea Grant, we really are trying to address all these challenges through a multi-phased approach. First, we support research. About 50% of our budget goes towards supporting innovative research that's applied research that results in real-world answers and solutions for our stakeholders. The second thing that we do is invest heavily in environmental literacy and education. So we are working with K-12 students, undergraduates and graduate students, community members, teachers, working professionals to educate them about some of these changing conditions in our state. The third thing that we do is we have a very highly qualified and well-trained staff within the Delaware Sea Grant Marine Advisory Service who provide technical services on a one-on-one basis with individuals and communities. So through this multi-tiered approach, we're really working to help our state address the challenges being presented by these changing coastal conditions. More specifically to green infrastructure, we have a couple different initiatives. First, we're supporting research looking at how to improve the design and construction of green infrastructure projects. Because one of the challenges I mentioned up front is that there's not a long track record of success or design guidance. So we are investing in research to develop innovative ways to design these projects, everything from living shorelines to rain gardens to subtitle oyster reefs. We're investing heavily in research from qualified faculty members throughout our state go out and collect the needed information to help improve those processes. Secondly, we support the Coastal Resilience Design Studio at the University of Delaware, which is providing training for undergraduate and graduate students to actually go out and implement this type of project. So those students are working hand in hand with communities like Laurel and Lipsick. We're working in the city of Dover and Wilmington. And those students are working directly with communities to understand what their challenges are. And then back in the studio, working with faculty and trained professionals to come up with solutions to those problems. That's focused on the design. So we're trying to improve the capacity of the workforce to have qualified designers that are working in the field. The third thing that we're doing, we're engaged in a partnership with Delaware Technical Community College, both in Stanton, Delaware, and in Georgetown, Delaware, to teach construction skills to students at Dell Tech. That course is a field-based course focused on teaching people How do you actually build something like a living shoreline? How do you build a rain garden? Most of these students are coming with construction backgrounds or landscaping backgrounds. They're very familiar with how you build a roadway or how you build a bridge. But building with nature, as I've said, is very different. You know, I can't go to a contractor supply store and order oyster shell. I can't order native vegetation. On a typical project, you know, I can just go to a contractor supply and say, hey, I need X yards of concrete delivered to the site on this date. So we're working on every aspect of construction from materials procurement to placement in the field to different practices that are involved 
in adaptive management, like invasive species management, we're teaching students monitoring skills so they understand how to evaluate a project after it's been built to see if it's successful or not successful. And if it's not successful, what actions would be appropriate to address those challenges? So through research and workforce development efforts, we're really hoping to develop better solutions for green infrastructure. Secondly, provide the training to the designers and the builders that will ultimately be responsible for implementing these practices in our state. So how long has the partnership been going? You know, just a moment ago, I talked about Delaware being a low-lying state. You know, we're really struggling with challenges that are a result of our changing climate. And we feel that green infrastructure and the research suggests that green infrastructure is one of the best solutions we have for addressing those. So the partnerships that we developed, it's been three or four years now for a number of these different initiatives. We're continuing to grow and expand all of those things. Uh, on the research side of things, we are continuing to look to invest in innovative solutions. Our workforce development program with Dell Tech was new in 2018 and was just offered through the Stanton campus. But because of the success of that program, we have expanded it to include the Georgetown campus as well. We're gonna be offering that program more frequently. In regard to the Coastal Resilience Design Studio, that's been a almost four-year relationship now, and we're looking to continue to grow that studio. Right now, it's housed at the University of Delaware under Dr. Jules Bruck in the Landscape Architecture Program. But we're engaged in discussions with other academic institutions in our state, like Delaware State University and Wilmington University, to expand the scope of the studio to include students from those institutions as well. One of the things that we found through that studio, through our research, through our programs with Dell Tech, is that green infrastructure requires a team to successfully design and build. And that team needs to be interdisciplinary. Green infrastructure relies on principles of engineering, environmental science, ecology, landscape architecture, urban planning. All of these different aspects come into play because we're trying to create something that will be long lasting. It's going to be resilient. It's going to benefit the community and the environment. So having as many different perspectives on a design team as possible is really beneficial. So through the Coastal Resilience Design Studio, we're looking to bring in additional perspectives. We're looking to expand the team to include surveyors and biologists and engineers and landscape architects, but really branching out from what we've done historically, which is just work with the University of Delaware students to all also work with these other institutions in our state. That makes sense that you would need a bunch of different areas where people can bring different perspectives and ties into my next question, which is what does Delaware need to be doing as a collective to ensure green infrastructure that's sustainable in the state? Great question. So there's a couple bottlenecks right now. I think it's difficult to find successful examples of green infrastructure in our state. And there's a couple of reasons for that. At Delaware Sea Grant, we're trying to address those bottlenecks. The first one, I think, is that there is a lack of qualified designers for green infrastructure projects. You can find a lot of great wastewater engineers, transportation engineers, but it's difficult to find trained, skilled designers in a range of green infrastructure projects, everything from rain gardens to green roofs to living shorelines. And it's difficult to find qualified designers. So I think our state has a lack of capacity within the workforce for design. I think the same is true for construction. You know, there's not many construction firms within our state that have experience building these innovative projects. So we need to address that by retraining the workforce so that they have the appropriate skills to build this type of project. Because 
green infrastructure is different than a traditional construction project. You're often building in really challenging environments where it's difficult to get site access with heavy equipment. You're building in often saturated conditions if you're talking about a wetland project. So using different construction approaches, using different equipment, using different materials, there's a learning curve there. So we need to train the construction industry to make sure that they have that type of skill. One of the big bottlenecks is because of those factors, there's not many examples of successful green infrastructure projects in our state, right? I could rattle off a list of projects, but I think for more broader implementation of this type of project, there needs to be awareness within communities of what this looks like. So I think most people in Delaware have heard of a living shoreline. They've heard of a rain garden. They've heard of a green roof. But I don't know how many people have actually seen one or have seen one successfully built. So without having those examples, without having that resonance with the community, it's difficult to get buy-in from stakeholders to move forward with this type of project. The flip side of that is that everybody's seen a riprap shoreline protection project. Everybody's seen a jetty or a groin or a bulkhead. So I think right now, one of the impediments to broader implementation is just a lack of successful projects that community members and municipalities can look to as an example for something that they would want to replicate and build in their own community. So do you have an example of a state that is leading the way in green infrastructure projects? That's a great question. No, honestly, I feel like Delaware is among the leaders in addressing these bottlenecks, but I don't feel like any state has really advanced this beyond what's being done here in Delaware. Delaware Sea Grant fits within the National Sea Grant College Program, which contains 34 programs like our own focused on coastal issues throughout the country. And within that network, all of our programs are struggling to address these same bottlenecks. So I don't think that Delaware is farther behind anybody else. And actually, I feel like we are at the forefront. Our state is very focused because of the unique challenges that we're facing. It's the lowest flying state in the country. It's really critical that we come up with solutions. And I feel like we're leading the way in terms of investments in research and training and workforce development efforts. So that concludes our interview. Again, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I learned so much about green infrastructure, and I'm sure our listeners will find this informative. If our listeners are interested, the Delaware Sea Grant website and other resources will be linked within the description of this podcast. Again, I'm Abigail Armstrong from the University of Delaware ICMA Student Chapter and the Institute for Public Administration. To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at bidenschool.udel.edu slash IPA. Thank you for listening to First State Insight.